Hey y'all, welcome back to the Rhino Lab. This is Ryan Williams. Want to thank everyone who's already purchased my book, The Influencer Economy, How to Launch Your Idea, Collaborate with Influencers, and Thrive in the Digital Economy. Before I jump into the episode, I want to ask if you could leave an Amazon review for the book if you've already purchased it and you've enjoyed it because it really helps me get discovered in Amazon to find new community members and get the book out because I love teaching it. I love talking about the influencer economy. I want to help everyone build communities and thrive your business or any idea you're working on to help you collaborate and build something you think is remarkable. Make sure you go to theinfluencerbook.com. Welcome to episode number 98. My guest this week is John Levy, the author of the new book, The 2AM Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. I'm so glad you're here this week. My name is Ryan Williams. This is the Influencer Economy Podcast, the Rhino Lab. Each week I speak with an entrepreneur, a creator, or a maker talking about how they've launched their idea, built a community, and thrived with influencers in the digital age. John's book, The 2AM Principle, is a great read. I recommend it. We're going to jump right into this episode because John ran with the bulls in Spain and has discovered how to scientifically create more adventure to push your own boundaries to grow professionally and personally. So without further ado, John Levy, and make sure you check out theinfluencereconomy.com for all of our old archives of every podcast for the last 98 episodes. So John, I know you through your influencers dinner, which is a dinner party you host for influential people to meet one another and not talk about what they do for a living. And you also host the salons, which are events for groups of influencers to get together. So what is the 2AM principle and how does it play into your previous research for connecting influencers and building a community? The 2AM principle is mostly on the other side of my research, which is the science of adventure. So I, a lot of the lessons I learned about connecting with people were a byproduct of I'd throw myself into the craziest scenarios uh, and either I was going to figure out how to make friends or I was going to hang out by myself. And so I would drop myself off in Nice where I didn't speak the language, didn't know anybody, didn't have a place to stay. And either I'd convince a stranger to put me up for the night or I'd sleep on the street. And so I got really good at making friends uh, and understanding the different ways to approach different people. Um, so that was, uh, and the funny thing is, uh, so the book actually combines uh, these outrageous stories like battling Kiefer Sutherland in Junkin' Jenga and then crashing his Thanksgiving dinner uh, all the way through to uh, one time I was in Stockholm, Arlanda Airport and uh, I'm checking out of Duty Free and within 10 seconds of meeting the Duty Free girl, like the salesperson, uh, I convince her to leave her job and travel the world with me. And so... It, but everything I do is described and backed by scientific research on social interaction, human behavior that has the potential of really impacting people's lives. Wait, let's lives. get back to the second. You were at a duty-free <laughs> shop where and you asked who to travel the world with you? I was uh, leaving uh, Stockholm, Arlanda Airport on my way to another country. I was with my best friend, Liam. And uh, the girl behind the checkout counter asked for my flight ticket. And I pass it to her. And she goes, oh, Israel. And I go, yeah, do you want to come? And she goes, yeah. And I go, great, then come. And she goes, well, I'm a grad student. That's really expensive. And I say, what if I paid for your trip? And she goes, okay. And so I pull up my phone and we start matching flights on kayak. In the meantime, there's like this whole mess of people. And uh, it's causing like a commotion. And one guy starts yelling at us because my friend Liam is bagging people's things to get them checked out faster. <laughs> 
And uh, he says, no, I have to bag my own things. It's a security risk. We're like, oh, my God, we're so sorry. All the other lines are staring at us. All the other checkouts have stopped in the meantime. Uh, I go, when's your break? She says, 25 minutes. I say, great, meet me over there. <laughs> she meets me 25 minutes later. And we're booking her flight. And then we realize there's one problem. What is it? That you, s- what, the problem for her? I, I still, no, the problem is I still don't know her name. Oh, that's funny. And so. I thought it would be like logistically, like she didn't have her ID on her. <clears throat> well, the, she, she had to go back home to pick up her, her passport. The ridiculous thing is I didn't know her name. But within 24 hours, uh, passport and her, her things, left her job and showed up in Israel. We spent a week traveling together with my entire family. So across Israel and Jordan. And then finally, uh, on her last day, she's leaving for the airport. And coincidentally, my brother, his wife and daughter have a flight five minutes after hers going to Stockholm. So they pick it, pick her up at the airport, take her out for dinner, and then she babysits for their daughter while they go out. What does your family think when you had this woman with you on the whole trip spontaneously? Is this something they come to expect? At this point, they have. My dad's kind of kooky, too. Like, he's a well-known painter and sculptor and very socially capable, much more than I am. Um, and so on any given day, we'd have random strangers just show up and join us for dinner because he'd meet them throughout the day. And he'd be like, no, come, my wife will take care of you. Come join us. And of course, it would drive my mom crazy to some degree, but we, all, we always loved the guests. And so they were super confused initially, but they love her. I mean, she came and joined us for our family reunion the following year. And uh, I just gave a big talk about this at PopTech. So. Where, uh, where did you grow up? Uh, where I grew up, I grew up on uh, the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and then also in Israel. My uh, my parents uh, live there now, and I would spend the summers there. And I also took a year off of school and lived there. So, uh, yeah. So why did you want to take these experiences and adventures and write a book about it? But more moreover, why did you want to create a framework around it? Um. So I. I would talk to people about, first of all, I grew up incredibly unpopular. Like, I mean, amazingly well, you just, unpopular. You just called yourself, you said your dad was more socially refined than you were. Oh, by far. Are you saying that? I don't know about sort of socially refined. Dep- dep- socially. Yeah. No, 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 no. He, he grew up street smart. So he has an understanding of social cues that the rest of us don't. Like he didn't finish, I think, fifth grade even. Okay. He grew up in a very poor neighborhood in Israel and became an artist. And so his understanding of social scenarios, uh, I think, run deeper. I have an understanding from a scientific standpoint, and then I kind of developed it from there. Uh, but no, it wasn't to be self-deprecating. It was just because I have a lot of respect for him. Um, so I grew up incredibly unpopular, and I figured with heroes like Ferris Bueller out there and Indiana Jones, maybe I could understand what they did and quantify it and like build a model around it. And because it drove me crazy that people would say that, the most exciting experiences of their lives happened by random chance. And that can't be the case if certain people live really exciting lives and others live quiet lives. Because if it was random chance, we'd all live similarly exciting lives. There must be something embodied by these exciting people. And if I could figure out what that was, I could put it into a model and then anybody could do it. And that's what the book's about. It's called the 2 a.m. principle and because nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic experiences of your life. And well, epic is the four stages of an adventure. And that's what I loved about your book title is 
I remember in college, I used to stay up past 2 a.m. And I felt like I always would make my best friends, like more having more meaningful relationships during that time period. And no one Mm -hmm. understood like what went on after 2 a.m. And it wasn't as like scandalous as this sounds, but it really there's something about the bonding event where people that stay up later have those stories and experiences the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The key is, though, in knowing when to call it. So sometimes it's totally worth it. And you have this incredible bonding experience and it's super fun and it's outlandish. And often it's like you're stuck at a pizza place while <laughs> at 3.59 a.m. wondering why you're still there and why you're not asleep yet. So the key is uh, there's something called the peak end rule uh, discovered by Dan Kahneman, which is we don't remember the duration of pleasure and pain, but we remember the peaks of an experience and how they end. So if we let an experience deteriorate and end on a lower note, we actually remember it less fondly. So the key is to end on a really high note, even if that means ending a little early at times. So sometimes it's better to rip the cord and leave the party early. Yes, very much. Unless you're going to make the effort into making it extraordinary, 2 a.m. is pretty late. You can go home and get some sleep and then do it again the next day, but be rested for it. So essentially, you've been striving to create these extraordinary experiences for yourself. And then mm-hmm. the book, was it a byproduct of that? Or did you set out to write a book you know, from an early stage? I'm developing the model and organizing it for other people was inspired in order to make a book because I figured I'd reached this point where I was really good at all this stuff and I could go out and have fun any night. I never quantified it though to a full degree. I knew certain patterns existed. And then I sat down with all the photos of like 10 years of adventures and I was like, what are the common factors? And I was able to realize that there were certain specific characteristics that had to be in place. And, and that's and, how it all got started. And so, you know, for those that are going to read the book, can you give them what are the four stages? Because it's all about epic experiences in the end. And that's the acronym. Correct. Epic. Yes, because it's establish is the first stage. Push boundaries is two. Three is uh, increase. And the fourth is continue. And so uh, contrary to popular belief, you do prepare for an adventure. It's not just something that happens spontaneously. And the most important factors by far are one, the right group of people, because the right group of people can make a terrible party fun and the wrong group can make the most amazing experience miserable. And preferably a new location. The reason is that your brain operates differently in novel or different environments. You're enticed to explore and experience. As a byproduct, you're probably more open to trying new things when you're in those scenarios. Uh, Second stage, push boundaries. You have to cross some kind of social, physical, or emotional boundary. Uh, As I define adventure, you have to grow from the experience. If you didn't grow from it, it wasn't adventure. It was a nice time. But if you think back at the greatest adventures in history, they're changed from their experiences. And then the final, uh, sorry, not the final, the third stage increase, you maximize the emotional value of whatever environment you're in. So you can accomplish that through challenges between the people you're with, um, intriguing people. And what do you mean by in. challenges? Uh, so let's say we're at a, a bar. I go, uh, I bet you can't get those two groups to come and join us. Mm-hmm. Or in the book, one of my friends uh, challenges me because we saw uh, Julia Stiles at a restaurant. He said, I challenge you to introduce us to Julia Stiles. And she was in this really like far corner that was near impossible to reach. 
and uh, and it was like an impossible, like near impossible feat. But I took on the challenge just to make the experience more interesting, so that it didn't really matter if I failed or succeeded. And it, I didn't really care if I succeeded because I wasn't going to become friends with Julia Stiles off of just walking up to her at a restaurant. So I, what was more interesting is the scenario I had to create in order to make it happen. And that was insanity. I mean, like, just, I cannot believe the layering of social interaction that had to take place. I don't want to ruin the story because uh, it's something that's best read. In the what book. was the goal of that? You wanted her to come to your table and s- say hi? No, no, it was about me going to her table and bringing my friends to meet her. But because she was in the least accessible table in the entire place, I would have to make friends with two other tables before I got her to hers because there was just no access. So I'd have to meet one group, combine it with a second group, and then leapfrog with them to meeting her. And that was insanely difficult. And so what's the, the final step? Uh, the final stage is continue. And that's where you look at a series of characteristics to see where to go next and how to get there. And then you loop back through the process or you uh, end with style, which I kind of mentioned why it's so important because that's how you'll remember the experience. And uh, let's talk about kind of, you know, talking about the the the, the alcohol myth that people mm-hmm. feel like epic parties are the only way to really push yourself or like connect with people on a, on a level. So... I'm, I totally get the enjoyment of drinking, right? It's, I, I drink on weekends, uh, and that's great. And it's a fine social lubricant. Uh, but <clears throat> you can have incredible adventures uh, that push your boundaries, both socially and uh, physically, that don't require a single sip of, of liquor. And in fact, there's a lot of these misconceptions about liquor that um, have been propagated in our society, like beer before liquor never been sicker. There's no evidence of that at all. Right. Or red wine makes me tired. Once again, no evidence that that's actually true. Um, what else? There's evidence oh, that red wine that, makes your, your... People say it's healthy now. Red wine. like a. Um, it, I mean, there's a lot of studies on different things. Uh, you might be talking about one that had to do with whatever it is that makes... Uh, makes wine red i think is the whatever that chemical is uh is the thing that actually is like the reservatol or whatever it is um but i don't think it's the alcohol in (laughs) fact i think there's i've heard rumors that studies have suggested that drinking is as bad as smoking and i haven't looked at those studies but it wouldn't surprise me um and i'm all for people enjoying their liquor like i have nothing against it um but I think that the key here is that what makes an adventure an adventure is it's exciting and remarkable. It possesses adversity and or risk, preferably perceived risk. You don't have to like get yourself killed. You can go skydiving. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because I think it's sure. interesting that you're saying push your boundaries within your own, within reason for yourself. So mm-hmm. not everyone needs to go run the bull ride. You I know, really wouldn't recommend that at all. As yeah. somebody who has literally crushed and almost died, um, I, I'm, if you want to do it, go for it, but do it in a safe way. And then the other aspect is that although your brain responds differently from peril than it does from perceived risk, it's not uh, the physical response is almost identical. So you, you're still scared. 
and as a byproduct, uh, you're going to end up uh, getting the opportunity to overcome something, specifically your fear. So if you're taking on something like skydiving, nobody gets hurt in skydiving. Like the chances of you getting hurt are near zero. Whereas if you go and climb Everest, there's a really high chance something's going to go wrong. So you can pick something that's completely within the scope of your um, of your tolerance for risk and novelty and not be freaking out that uh, you're going to get yourself killed. And, it's, and how does that change your mindset? Well, if you begin with the idea that you're you might be scared, then fear is an experience. It isn't uh, doesn't mean imminent danger. And that's, a, I think, a big difference in terms of of um, of perspective. Just because I feel fear doesn't actually mean I'm in danger. And then if I feel fear and do something anyway, I can have that incredible experience of growth and overcoming a challenge. And that's when we're happiest. Right? If you look at research by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the, all the stuff on flow, it's when we're pursuing something that's just outside of our comfort zone, that we have a certain level of skill. And then in order to pursue this next thing, we have to go slightly beyond that. And that's when we have this experience of feeling one with the activity. So if you challenge yourself to go outside of, let's say, your, is comfort zone the right word to sure. use? Yeah. Then sure. you feel like you've achieved something because psychologically then we've taken chances in our own like, mm-hmm. ability to take a risk. Because some of us Absolutely. are not, or some of us are very risk averse, whereas others, you know, bet their whole lives on big ideas. So, uh, if you actually look at Grant's second book, Originals, he kind of debunks this myth that you know entrepreneurs are huge risk takers. Right, John uh, Adam Grant. And, yeah, uh, and his in it he discusses the Warby Parker uh, team, yeah. and it turns out that before they left their jobs and their internships or whatever they were doing, uh, they needed to make sure that Warby Parker was already successful because they weren't willing to take on the risk of not being able to pay themselves or whatever their challenges might be. And I think that this is one of these differences between peril and perceived risk. Certain people need that peril and that's fine. That's their deal. Most of us definitely don't. And so we need to focus on perceived risks like, going to talk to somebody cute at a bar that scares us or giving a speech or um, taking on some really daunting physical task like going and doing training with Navy SEALs or something crazy like that. You know, in a worst case scenario, you'll pull a muscle. You're not going to die if you do the training. So So then taking on these risks, would you almost call them like incremental risks that are less like life? I think you're best off with incremental risks. Um, because one is that way you always have a boundary to push. And second, there's also something called the winner effect, which is when you have one success, your body floods with testosterone to prepare you for the next challenge. And if you can stack those, you can build more and more confidence as you go along. The problem is that if you have too much testosterone in your system, you think you're invincible, uh, which is what happened to me at running of the bulls. And I thought I couldn't get hurt. And then I got crushed and almost died because of overconfidence. You did, you almost, you, you go to the hospital? Yeah, yeah, I was in a triage center, and then I went to the emergency room, and uh, I actually had a hoof print embedded into my shoulder. In Spain, you were there in the triage was, unit. Yes, that's incredible. Yeah. And so, and, what part of your personality made you want to do that experience? Uh, truth be told, yeah, I every year take on a 
travel challenge. This all started in 2013. I had this terrible breakup in 2012. And as a reward for getting through it in such a healthy way, I said, I'm going to go travel every month, the biggest event in the world, wherever it was. I had no idea what it was yet or how I'm going to pay for it. Uh, because frankly, I wasn't earning enough to cover all of it. But you get really clever when you set a goal that's just outside of your comfort zone. And uh, so for July, it was Pamplona. And on July 7th, I lined up just like everybody else and started running. And then I was stupid enough to let a bull jump over me. And I got crushed when it missed its jump. It's so funny. This conversation reminds me of like college, right? Because I feel like the older you get, the less risk you take. Uh And I remember I was in a park we were down in Mobile, Alabama for Mardi Gras, like whatever, not that eventful, kind of fun. And we were taking a cab. We couldn't hail a cab. It's two in the morning. So my friends and I, like, we slept in a park. And it was myself, mm-hmm. my buddy Jeff, and these two girls that we just had road tripped with spontaneously from college awesome. <laughs> at Vanderbilt University. So we had already spent like six hours in the car. We're in a park together. And that was like the talk of the next day with our friends was like, can you believe these guys slept in a park? Mm-hmm. And it was the people, right? My buddy Jeff and I had a great time. We made sure that we like slept on a bench. It was just, you know, an epic adventure that didn't even have a lot of like sex appeal to it. Like it just wasn't like, oh, we went to this amazing oh, yeah. event. It was more the... A that- lot of these things are completely miserable when you look at them. But it's, you know, the, another aspect that's important is to have an underlying mission So like, yeah, we're going to make it to this event, right? Because the mission drives social interaction, keeps you going and bonds people. It also helps makes outsiders want to support you. And then having constraints, because as we know from research by um, Barry Schwartz, too many options makes us less happy. So by having constraints, we get to become creative in how we overcome those constraints. And you guys had constraints of location or money or whatever it was. And the solution was this completely insane and absurd idea. I'm going to sleep on a park bench. Yeah. And like our buddies, we're staying with a family of a friend and the parents were like, are you kidding me? You slept in the park? That is absurdly ridiculous and funny. And the mm-hmm. the risk was very minor. We were like in a safer neighborhood. It's not like we were. Yeah. yeah. Nothing know. was going to happen. Um, so then ultimately when you do these types of experiences on any level, do you take that confidence to other aspects of your life? Like if you take a risk in a calculated incremental way like does that translate to more confidence at work with appealing to you know potential spouses and partners you can't go toe-to-toe with a bull and survive and then walk into a meeting and feel intimidated by somebody in the same way it's just like i've been crushed by the best (laughs) yeah (laughs) are you gonna make me feel small (laughs) but like when you expand your comfort zone and you keep pushing yourself you, the real gift of an adventure isn't just the great story and the experiences. It's that you have an expanded self at the end, and that doesn't go away. It's interesting you say and that. So, yeah. I, I, to your point, I think that people just take – like you can take it to work. Like you're giving a PowerPoint presentation to your boss, and you're like, I had a hoof print on the back of my lower – Shoulder. S- shoulder, yeah. Like what's this – if I don't get this deal, I've had worse situations happen. Oh my God, I've had, there's, there's been so many times when I've just been like, I don't know how this is going to end. Uh, I was one time in stuck an hour and a half outside of Buenos Aires in a 
socialist party that like I should have never been at where I was told that be careful who I speak to because they might think I'm like a supporter of George Bush and thereby the socialist will want to beat me up like just in the middle of nowhere. Right. Uh, or I went down the wrong alleyway in, uh, in Marrakesh, I think it was at the Sook and it was clear I should not be there, but I was like, I'm going to go explore anyway. <laughs> and the police came and grabbed me and they're like, no, you shouldn't do that. Or just the number of incidences that I've <laughs> gotten myself in trouble are through the roof. And as a byproduct, it takes a lot to shake me now. now. I'm not recommending that for any everybody. A lot of people have a much lower tolerance for those things. And as a byproduct, they're, I mean, they freak out under those scenarios. Uh, and there's also people who need much, much more than that. And that's not me. So the key is in knowing where your boundaries are and how to push them safely. Yeah, I used to do stand-up comedy and you just reminded me of like getting heckled and called every name in the book. The very first time mm-hmm. I went on stage, it was in a dive bar in Baltimore and I hid my set list under my beer and I forget all my jokes the second I'm on stage. I get of course. heckled ridiculously. Of course. And now I do public speaking and I'm like, oh my God, I'm talking to people that want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I'm an expert on the subject matter. I'm not trying to like cut my teeth in an open mic night. Like, What's the worst that could happen? And so in a lot of ways, like a safety net is created by taking chances like this. Yeah, it's uh, it puts things in perspective and it also gives you a sense of of um, culture. Right. So you get a perspective that there are other ways to do things because you see that in Japan, things are different or you go to the Middle East and the the culture structure differently. And so it gives you different approaches for solving the same problems and it fuels creativity. So I couldn't encourage people more to explore. Now, I didn't start off being able to travel like this. I started off with an agreement with myself that every month I'd leave New York once a month. This was even before I did this big international travel project. And if you have a car and some gas money or you hop on a bus, you can get most places, you can get pretty far for 25 bucks these days. So, and if you do that once a month, all of a sudden you'll have a wealth of experiences. And you can keep growing as your social cloud increases, as your income increases. But the key is to keep exploring. It'll make you a better person. And so the final question I have is, you know, if you're trying to leave your your town, let's say you live in, uh, you know, the middle of, you know, Bismarck, North Dakota, you're saying you can just get out of your comfort zone by leaving, like, what's the mile radius? You know, what's the, what are the metrics that you think can contribute outside of the people and the location? Because a lot of people feel like their location constrained because they don't live, you know, in New York City or, so or, or if you're in an, this is where mission and constraints really kick in. So the constraints and mission are best used, or not best used, but really ideal when uh, you're in an environment that you can't easily escape. Because if I go out to the same two bars in my town every Saturday night, it gets old pretty fast. And so how do we make it more exciting? Well, let's say we set up a mission. Let's say, do you know that trading game where people start off with like a paperclip uh-huh. and they see like, and then they end up somehow with a house or whatever at the end? Yeah, yeah. What if that became your mission for the night? Or what if your mission for the night was you don't have any cash on you? No problem. We're going to spend the night convincing strangers to buy us drinks. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you view the environment differently. There's something for you to overcome. And as a byproduct, 
uh, you get to redefine who you are and create a more enjoyable experience. And if you fail, so what? So create some other goal. Many challenges. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's been my pleasure. The Are two, you kidding me? The 2 a.m. principle. Well, the book's super easy. I mean, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, any place books are sold. That sounds cliche, but true. And then as far as finding me, I'm my name is John Levy, J-O-N-L-E, V as in Victor, Y as in yellow. And because my name is so common, I have three letters that I added to the end of it. So it's John Levy, T-L-B, T like Thomas, L like Lion, B like Boy. So you can find me at johnlevytlb.com, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, John Levy, Snapchat, John Levy TLB. And so uh, feel free to follow, message, whatever you want. And please pick up a copy of the book. I promise you it will be the most entertaining read you've had in years. And we uh, encourage people to always leave Amazon reviews. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and all your support. That was John Levy. From the bottom of my heart, this is Ryan Williams. I want to ask everyone to think about how they can help someone today because a big theory about collaborating is giving to others without expecting anything in return. So everyone can help one another. Rising tides lift all boats. As you all know, we talk about the giving philosophy a lot on this podcast. So the Rhino Lab, Rhino stands for Reaching Your Next Opportunity. So I want to collaborate with everyone in the community and offer you the Influencer Economy book handbook and action sheet. It's a way to launch your idea, collaborate with influencers, and thrive in the digital age. You can find it on my website. I'd love to give you this manual. It's a way for you to help workshop your idea, your business, or your passion project to launch it to the world. So check it out at influencereconomy.com. If you sign up for my email list, I will give it to you for free there. Communities. Reaching your next opportunities is the thesis of this podcast. I look forward to collaborating in the future Thank you so much.